Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of ESPN and Tom Colomose of the Evening Standard. Some derbies have lost their edge. Too many tourist fans, too few local lads on the pitch. But when Man United visit Liverpool, the tribal rivalry is as intense as ever. There's an edge, all right. Looking forward to Anfield on Saturday, Tom? Oh, whenever you play Man United, you get excited about it. You know, it's uh, it's 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 the biggest game in in English football, and you know, forget the classical. It's bigger than that. Bigger than that. You agree? No, absolutely <laughs> not. I think the classico transcends most games in European football. But having said that, I do still think that Liverpool against Manchester United is the biggest game in English football. I know that the globalisation of it has changed things with fans of Chelsea, Arsenal, Spurs on the other side of the world now, but I still think for history, for resonance, that sort of evocative sense that the game brings, Liverpool against Manchester United is still the biggest fixture, the two biggest clubs in English football. And with United, they've got the ultimate incentive. They could kill Liverpool's season here, couldn't they? Yeah, without a doubt. And there's nothing Jose Mourinho would love more than to get one over on Klopp and Liverpool. Uh, his uh, antipathy towards Anfield is long established. Uh, I think he'll come there and he'll get the big bodies in the team and he'll try to bully Liverpool. Uh, I think losing Fellaini is, is, yeah, is, will be disappointing for him, but even so, I think they'll get very, very physical. Time for Ander Herrera to stand out, isn't it? Yeah, and he had a fine season last year, didn't he? He was a key part of that side that ran all the way to the Europa League final. But I think we have to be careful of getting carried away with expressions like killing their season. If we look back five years ago, Man City were eight points behind Manchester United in April and won the title. Now, Liverpool got um, ten points behind, if they, I think, if they lose at Anfield on Saturday. But there's still 30 games left. But do you, tr- do you trust the current Liverpool lineup to make up that sort of disadvantage? As, as we are here in October, no. But we've still got November, December, January, February, etc. to go. And you, you can never account for injuries, gaining, losing form. I mean, who would have who would have predicted, Tony, that that Brendan Rodgers side, I know they had an outstanding individual in Luis Suarez, but mm. would have gone on that run and nearly won the title in the early phase of the season. So I think in this age of instant judgments, we have to say, oh, that ends their season, that ends their season. It doesn't. Yeah, and I think Tom's got a point. I mean, Liverpool are perfectly capable of ending their own season um, <laughs> with that defence. Um, I do think it would be a long way back. Uh, I think they've got a great front four who, who will cause people problems. But the midfield is very poor. The defence is abject. 
and the goalkeeper is an issue. Uh, I don't think whether Liverpool win or not, they're on course for a successful season. Um, I think the most he can aspire to is um, getting in the top four and hopefully a cup. But even then, I think it'll be a bit of a stretch. Mm. We're into two years now into the Klopp brain. Give me a report card. Well, I think what you'd worry the most about is that the same mistakes are being made. Like, it's defensively where they have the problem. And they have made signings in that area, haven't they? Notably, Joel Matip. Um, they wanted Virgil van Dijk strongly over the summer. He wanted to go then. They didn't get him. But you have to wonder how much difference one player could make when the problems seem to be more endemic than that in terms of defending set pieces, in terms of the fact that they can be simply opened up with one pass very often, can't they? I think their transfer business is really interesting, Liverpool, over the summers because I think Mohamed Salah is a fantastic player and the way the market went to get him for £34 million was an absolute steal. But crucially, they didn't actually need him. He'd have been much more effective in another side. He's being effective in Liverpool and he's got six goals already, hasn't he? He gets so many chances, mm. creates space got for some nerve as well, that penalty for... Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. I think he's a hugely underrated player. I think he's one of those who suffered from a bit of exposure to English football, people who don't really watch football beyond these shows. Oh, he's hopeless at Chelsea. Look at what he did at Roma. Look at what he did at Basel, Fiorentina. Mm. It was a fine signing, but... Did they need him when they've already got Sadio Mane? I, I think physically he's he's got stronger since he was at Chelsea. I mean, people at Chelsea talked about him and not being cut out for the Premier League and, and not not robust enough, but clearly he is now and he's quick. Um, but you know, as Tom says, unfortunately that's not where they need it. Uh, once you get past the front four, then there's lots of running room at Anfield. The midfield is incoherent and the central defence. Uh, it's all over the place. You've never had the pom-poms out, have you? You've never been a, a Klopp cheerleader. Well, you know what? Prove it first. I mean, the, the age to de deify people at Anfield before they even do anything is massive. And it, it's, you know, you come in, oh, you know, he's great, he's, uh, he's wonderful, he gets us. Well, you know what? I don't care if he gets us. Give us a trophy. Mm. But which he did do at Dortmund, didn't he? I mean, he came with more of a body of work than, say, Brendan Rodgers did. Oh, without Rodgers toppled Bayern in two consecutive seasons. So the talent is there. Without his answer. And you know what? He, he was and remains the best manager Liverpool could get at the moment. And so anyone who's saying get rid of him, well, that's insane because who would you get? But even so, the, um, the, 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 the raising him into the pantheon of the Anfield greats was too early. I need to see more than this. And what I need to see, everyone says what a great coach he is. Why isn't that? Why isn't that defence improved? Get them on the training grounds. Get them improved. I, a couple of years ago, was, um, uh, uh, when when they played at, at Crystal Palace and Ben Teke scored a last-minute penalty mm -hmm. and they were very, very lucky to get away with it. Uh, afterwards, I asked Klopp, I said to him, I said, you know, are you worried about set pieces? I said, they've scored from one, they've hit the bar from one and they've had three other good chances. He said, oh, don't talk about that, we're winning. I was like, that's when you should talk about it. You know, are you going to have them at Melwood this week? And are you going to have them working on it? He just laughed. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I wouldn't be laughing about that. Mm. I think what's interesting as well is how players in all sports become more and more effective and important as they spend time out of the team. And I'm thinking about Adam Lallana. Adam Lallana is yeah. an excellent player, isn't he? He's, he's a good midfield player. He's not Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not Gareth Bale. He's not Kylian Mbappe. He's not someone who's going to change your team immediately by coming back into it. He's a good player in a decent team, but I don't think his return is suddenly going to revive Liverpool and England, which is a narrative that we've been... I, I even heard a pundit say 
that when Lallana's available, they should drop Salah. Drop Salah. The bloke scored... I know I'm sounding like I'm running his fan club here, but the bloke scored six goals in his first team. The, the, the funny thing is, from a Liverpool perspective, I haven't heard anyone say, oh, when Lallana comes back, it'll solve everything. He's another attacking midfield player, effectively. He presses, perhaps, a little bit better than most of them, but he's, he's not going to solve the problem at the heart of that midfield. That's not shielding the defence, and he's certainly not going to solve the problem of leaking goals. One of the things on Saturday, there'll be a great fanfare. They're opening the Kenny Dalgleish stand. Mm. I know he's one of your favourite players. Mm. Indulge yourself. Well, he's the best player I've ever seen regularly. You know, he's uh, certainly the best player ever to wear a Liverpool shirt. And if you don't think that, you either are too young to have seen him or you don't know much about football. Um, <laughs> he, um, he's magnificent. It's ironic, isn't it, the names to stand after him, after they unceremoniously sacked him after he won a trophy. One of Fenway Sports Group's problems, and it still lingers on. They thought they were cleverer than everyone else. thought it was easy to win trophies. And they think, you know, they, they've cracked football. They're brighter than everyone else. Well, they're not. You know what? And it's, um, it, it, it's really the stand's a monument to Liverpool past. Are we going to get a Jose Mourinho stand at Old Trafford? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I still think it was a marriage of convenience, wasn't it, at the time? Manchester United wanted to get back yeah. to winning things. Mourinho will only take a top club, as he said, pointed remarks to people like Manuel Pellegrini before. Um, and he only tends to hang around for three, four years at one club. But I do think they're, they're well-placed to, to win the Premier League this year, certainly already at this stage. It looks like it's going to be a pretty epic fight, doesn't it, between the two Manchester clubs. The other clubs have got the difficulties for certain reasons. Um, but I don't think a Mourinho stand, no, but could be Mourinho Premier League champion. The only thing I'll say about Mourinho staying at Old Trafford is, where does he go next? Mm. You know, If he burns his bridges there, he's... Um, you know, he's made himself persona non grata at most of Europe's biggest clubs. People can forget, though, can't they? And I mean, he's a financially independent man. I think Inter would take him back in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Third time for Chelsea at some point. Yeah, you never well, know. maybe. But isn't isn't the fact now of modern management? You, you know, you talk about burning bridges. People can burn themselves out as well, can't they? Yeah, and well, the, the, Mourinho had that look about him last season. He, he looks if he wasn't enjoying football. He lost some of his game. spark. He, you know, he, he was everything was a strain for him. He's got a bit of his bounce back now, um, which which is, is good for United, and I think it's good for the Premier League as well. United have had a relatively easy start, not played many of their natural rivals. Does that lead to false assumptions? I don't think so in their case, no. I think that the absence of Pogba and Fellaini together, we were talking about it off air when we Tony, you made the point about the lack of physicality that would, that, that the physicality that you lose from their side because of that. But I think Lukaku seems to have made such a difference mm. for them, doesn't he? And it's keeping that fit. And I have to, I have to say, I was wrong about that because um, there were a lot of people last season saying that Ibrahimovic actually damaged the way they played because he wanted everything into feet. I thought that was overthinking it because the bloke still scored the best part of 30 goals. But the evidence seems to have borne it out. Lukaku's a regular scorer. They're creating mm. more chances. Mkhitaryan's had a, another year to settle. So, and the most important thing is that Mourinho's got his bounce back, as Tony said. So I just think they look equipped to, to last the pace. 
if Lukaku gets injured, everything changes. But well, at this well, stage, the thing is, since Mourinho went to Old Trafford, all the of all the signings, the only one under six foot has been Mkhitaryan. He's bought big bodies, and he's not a big five bodies. ten, isn't he? Probably yeah, so he, he's looking for people to, you know, he wants to bully the rest of the league. He's he's thinking he's going to come to, he's going to go to Liverpool, he's going to play City, and he's going to use his physical prowess on them. Do you think he's going to park the famous bus or not? Is he going to go for it? I don't think he'll go for it, no, but it's not It's not in his nature. And also, if you watch Liverpool over under Klopp, the way to beat them is to allow them have the, to have the ball and pick them off on the break. That's why I've always been surprised, and I think that partly Liverpool's excellent record against the top teams last year was because when you are a top team, you kind of feel this pressure to play expansively, to attack, and that's exactly what Liverpool want you to do with the pace they have an mm. attack. And Mourinho knows that very well, so if not parking the bus, certainly not. Putting the bus on autopilot and letting it drive off down the mountain. Well, we, we were sitting next to each other uh, the, the, when Tottenham went to Liverpool last year, weren't we? And we couldn't believe Tottenham were so wide open. Exactly. We, were, we were in a state of shock. Why are they doing this? Liverpool are going to murder them. It was obvious right away. And I think Tottenham, because they're worth talking about because they're in this group of fixtures Manchester United have got, aren't mm. they? But you would always take Manchester United to beat Tottenham at Old Trafford, I think. Mm. Um, so that's one of those where you probably take it off for them and then the other one's Chelsea at Stamford Bridge which Mourinho of course will relish yeah Tottenham have they got the look of potential champions about them well, I think they're close they're close um, I think as long as you've got Harry Kane you're going to be very near I think Deli Alley's dropped off a little bit um, I'm not so sure it's going to work for his development playing in their advanced position I mean he's so often he's in front of he's in front of Harry Kane, and, um, and I think he, personally, I think he's better coming from deeper. But it looks as if Pochettino's decided that that's the way. He, if you're playing them deep, you have to build a team around him. Uh, I, I, I do think the defense is great. I, I think Ty has been um, a bit disappointing. Well, last season as well, he's as, hasn't quite had the spark he had on the the, the, the season when um, first year in midfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, so. But Tottenham have just about the best balance and shape of any team in the league that I've seen. I think the point about Ali is an interesting one because I think he's been pushed that far forward because he's been such a successful maker and taker of goals. So I think that they've reasoned that, OK, what we might lose from his involvement in the game will gain because he's so effective close to goal. And we saw that last year where he ended up with, with 18 goals in the Premier League at the end of the season. Um but I do agree with Tony. I think when you push him so far up, he is less involved in the game. And I think he becomes frustrated because, as we all know, he's that he has that natural, instinctive qualities as a footballer. And he wants to be on the ball. He wants to be involved. I think he gets a bit frustrated on the fringes. Is it a, also got to look at the bigger picture here with him? Young player has come through, probably many would say, the right way, you know, getting his lumps in League One. Seizing his chance as soon as he gets to Tottenham, he's suddenly this global star. Then the business side kicks in. Agents, going to change his agent. Everyone wants him. Mino Raiola, Mendes. Suddenly, football isn't such a simple game, is it? No, no, it's a lot for a young player. Uh, you know, he's got the the hopes of a nation with England on him as well. Um, the, the good thing from his point of view is that he's got Harry Kane in the same team as him and suddenly 
Kane is getting all the attention that perhaps Deli Ali was getting last year, and so I think that 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 should help him. But it, it seems he's in that 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 period which young players often go through, where he needs to refocus a little bit, decides where he wants to be, where he wants to go, and how he wants to play. And um, he, he's, he, I mean, I've seen him a couple of times this season, and at, at, at Tottenham, uh, sorry, at West Ham, he, he looked, he, he got himself into positions where he was out of the play. He was, you know, and he he wasn't available for the ball coming in, and as as it happens, it was an easy game, and he, he supplied a brilliant cross for. He ended up with two assists, yeah, though, didn't he? Yeah, this yeah. is kind of the point we're making. And, uh, but he he just looked, he looked out of sorts. Here's a stat for you: fifteen out of the last twenty nine England debutants have been coached by Pochettino. There seems to be a great deal of of love and respect for him within that dressing room. Why is that? I think because of what you say, I think because he's perceived as somebody who will give a chance to young players and also, quite simply, because what he does works. That's the bottom line for all players, isn't it? Am I playing? Are we winning? Um, and he's got the faith of a group of players there and they've been successful. OK, there's the slight doubt um, that they haven't managed to get over the finishing line when they've been in a good position. Um, but I think the point worth making about Pochettino, he, he isn't quite this big cuddly bear that people would say he's got quite a cold authoritarian streak and if you're out with him you're out very often oh, yeah. Kyle Walker found that Andros Townsend found that um, and he's not necessarily someone who if a player's out of the side he'll go and explain it to him have lots of conversations with him he can be quite cold and and oh. businesslike in that sense and it'll be interesting actually as and when Danny Rose gets fit to see how long it takes him to get back in the side because at the moment Davis is there on merit um, you'd argue that both 100% you'd rather have Rose but I'm quite interested to watch how that little plot builds up when Rose is ready Of all the Premier League managers that both of you deal with where does Pochettino rate? I still think he rates below um, Mourinho Guardiola even Klopp simply because he's not won anything yet it's what Tony said before about Kenny Dalglish um, winning a trophy at Liverpool. And that's why I think someone who's usually very careful with what he says in public, he made quite a mistake this season, Pochettino, when he said that the Premier League and the Champions League were the trophies that Spurs needed to target. Yeah. OK, he'd love to win the FA Cup, he'd love to win the League Cup, but they weren't going to be his priority. I think when, you haven't, when you've only won one trophy this millennium, the 2008 Carling Cup, you need to be very careful about dismissing domestic competitions, especially a competition like the FA Cup. Um, so I was surprised I was surprised to hear him say that, especially because they've, look, they've got a side to win that. Mm. Harry Winks, he's only made four Premier League starts for Spurs, yet already he's being hailed as you know, England's Iniesta. That can't be right, can it? Well, no, you know, not against Lithuania and not in a team, an England team like that. What's good about him is he's always looking to get forward. When the ball comes in, he gets his body into the right shape, and he, you know, so if he's taking the ball from the, the defence, he's he, he turns quickly, he's he's side on, and he's ready to go forward, and he moves the ball quick, quickly closes people down. He's a he's very much a Pochettino player. Squeezes uh, squeezes the opposition, presses really well. Um, you know, a lot of his stuff is short passes from what I've seen. I mean, you're much more familiar with him. Short passes and move into space, brilliant. All good stuff. It's a bit too early to uh, regard him as a saviour. Anyway, haven't we got enough saviours coming our way? Well, Wembley now. Uh, Tottenham at the moment. You know, the, 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 there's a whole coach loads of them. 
Mm. I think he's an interesting one, Winks. Yeah. Because he's got he's got a good head on him. I think he's got mm. from a, a good solid family. Um actually his mother's grandfather was Spanish. So had that been one generation back, um there could have been a bit of a fight <laughs> over his services. Okay. Um and for a little while, it was actually Pochettino who gave him the label Little Iniesta. It's not just people watching him and get carried away. I like him. He's not made many starts for Tottenham, but when he has, he's shown. I remember him playing last year and they started him in Monaco in a Champions League game. They lost the game. But he was very good. Mm. Um, he started in Cyprus and Nicosia and they won again. He was he was very good there. A slightly lucky win in some ways for Spurs, that, but he, he played very well. I think he's got the personality to be really successful. The big test for him is when he starts to become a regular in that Tottenham team and performance is an expectation rather than a bonus and it's how he handles that pressure. But from what I see of him, I think he's able to do it. And also it's a question of almost culture and atmosphere. There is this, it's an open invitation for a young player at Spurs. If you're good enough, you'll get your chance. Yeah. And you can't that, say that at many places, can no, you? No, no. And that, that's one, one of the great things about Pochettino. You could argue that uh, on the other side of the coin, is he doesn't get on well enough with senior players. That, uh, I think it's uh, a worthwhile point. Yeah, and, and a bit of experience in that team over the last couple of years might have helped them to, to, to get over that hump. Mm. But having said that, you know, there's still a sense of momentum at Tottenham uh, with, with Pochettino. And uh, frankly, long may it continue. Just need to get over the Wembley hurdle, don't yeah. they? Much as they say it isn't one, it still is. Yeah. Yeah. What about, you know, experienced players at Spurs, Jan Wittongen? He's getting his record 97th cap for Belgium on Tuesday night. Is he somehow underrated? Well, I think he was in the shadow of Alderweireld for a year, a year and a half, because Alderweireld started so well at Spurs and Vertonghen had a longish spell out with injury 2015, then again, sorry, 2016 and 2017. So he had a couple of spells out, but... Um, He's been a pretty consistent performer for Tottenham since he joined them in, in 2012. And actually, he's outshone Alderweireld this year. I think there's a little worry about Alderweireld at the moment. He's been so reliable for them. But certainly this year, I've seen people beating him. I've seen him being out of position, which was just unheard of. Um, I, I think there's a couple of things maybe at play. Of course, he still hasn't signed a new contract. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he left at the end of the season. But he also got... A, a very worrying injury last year, a sort of knee nerve problem that was a kind of one in a million shot and they really didn't know when they were going to be able to restore feeling to the nerve. He just had to wait for it to come back. So you wouldn't be human if that didn't play on your mind in some way about the possibility of happening again. It's, it's, of course, he's still one of the best defenders around, but I think his levels dropped a little bit. Fortunately, Vertonghen's has gone up, hasn't it? So they haven't really suffered. So the older viral to Man City rumours start here, do they? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, given the paucity of centre-halves these days, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I, I, I think I, I think Tom's right, you know, it's um, well, he is right, uh, because he, he hasn't been quite the player he was. And this contract thing's rumbling on the background. You know, it's, um, again, one of Tottenham's issues going forward is pay scales compared to everyone else. You know, it's, uh, and, and that will, won't, won't only affect him, it'll affect other players going forward. So, yeah, I think that there's a long way to go. But if they keep on moving in this direction, I think people will want to stay. And I think they'll, uh, there is still potentially a great team developing there. Mm. Is there a great team developing at Manchester City, Tom? Yes, because I think they can afford to buy whoever they want, really. I think what's been really noticeable this year is that 
they've started to develop that characteristic of the Guardiola, Barcelona and Bayern teams of absolutely sweeping aside anything that's slightly inferior. So in September, you had the five, didn't you, against Liverpool? Sorry about that, Tony. You had the, <laughs> the six. Six it was against Watford, wasn't it? It's another five against Palace, four against Feyenoord. Um, and when you're beating teams that convincingly, it enables players to sort of conserve energy for the for the greater battles ahead. Um, I think Kevin De Bruyne has got to be a good bet to be the player of the year this year. An outstanding player, scores goals, makes goals. Um contributes when it matters. Guardiola clearly absolutely loves him, doesn't he? Mm. Um, so in the title rest, I expect to go to the wire. I think if Man City do get there, I could see him taking all the individual awards at the end of the year. What I found really interesting was listening to John Stones talk about Guardiola and to talk about how much he'd helped him, not just as a player, but as a person. It's a holistic nature to it. Was he just basically trying to be in his manager's good books or is there some truth to that? I'm always suspicious when players talk. <laughs> I agree. You, you know, Guardiola is another one, like Pochettino, who um, prefers to work with young players, and because uh, uh, more experienced professionals are likely to challenge some of your notions. Well, that's Latin with Guardiola. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. It's um, and and so he prefers to, to work with young players, which is why company to uh, a certain extent, um, and more Aguero haven't quite been. Uh, Pep's cup of tea, so to speak, you know, because they're like, hang on, we've been in this league, we know we've been round the block, but but young players will buy into it. I'm not as sold on City as most. I, mean, I saw them at Chelsea uh, last week, and uh, there was still a huge gap in, in, in between the de- defence and the forward line, and they're doing really well in impressing the opposition and winning the ball back really high up the pitch. But there is loads of space behind them, and and you'd see in this lag there'd be there'd basically two lines, and in the middle is one midfielder, and the, the good teams are going to get into that space between them, and and they're going to have the pace to get round the back of of City. Uh, again, there was a side swipe at Aguero there um, after after the game um, when he talked about how the the, the front three pressing the defenders made it made made it able for City to play a high line and that's why he wants to play and he wants to squeeze all the the, the play into the opposition's half and Aguero won't do that. But what what struck me is they come away from Chelsea in a game they dominated, they won one nil. And um you, you know the, the the front three missed a load of chances. Aguero in the team, they might not press as well, but they might have come away winning four now. Mm. It is strange this sort of um, undercurrent of of doubt, if you like, that that Guardiola is inspiring around Aguero. There is still persistent talk of Milan being interested in him. How realistic is that talk, Tom? Do you think? I'm not sure the finance is quite there with Milan. I think you hear a lot of talk about obviously Milan's new ownership. Um, it's spent about 175 million there. Yeah, but to spend it on one player, the wages that Sergio Aguero will command, um, the other players, the other clubs that might want him, I don't see Aguero going to Serie A, certainly not mid season. Now, wait for the picture of him holding up the scarf on January 31st. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's an interesting one, Guardiola, isn't he? I think it's a bit like with Pochettino. I think someone's so convinced of their own methods, um, they see any kind of questioning from the outside, not only as a threat, but as just something that's incorrect a bad a bad influence you you i'm right you're wrong see you later um and i also think he he wants to be the big man guardiola doesn't he he wants to be the star i think um and 
Sergio Aguero is about to break Manchester City's all-time goal-scoring record. Clearly an asset to the team. And so, you're right, it's, it's discordant that he does keep having these little damning with faint praise at different the, times. There are saner people higher up the City hierarchy who will make sure Aguero doesn't leave. Um, that, that, that'd be a massive mistake. But certainly, this summer, if Aguero would have expressed a desire to leave, I am sure that Pep would have booked a taxi for him. Mm. On Saturday, we've got almost City being confronted by the ghosts of the club they used to be in the, in the shape of Mark Hughes and Stoke. I get the sense, I, I like Mark Hughes a lot as an individual, but also as a, what he's done at that club. But there's a sense of almost stasis now. Has he reached the crossroads of his managerial career? Yeah, I think everyone expected them to kick on um, because they spent a lot of money and they bought a lot of players who... Uh, Stoke were ahead of the curve in the sense as they realised how much the new Premier League television money you know, would bring in and they went to the continent and bought players that wouldn't naturally be expected to go to Stoke people like Shaqiri and, um, and at that point everyone expected them to kick on and it hasn't really worked um, perhaps because they bought that type of player who thinks they should be on a bigger stage it's always interesting to me how, how well Shaqiri plays on live televised games as opposed to um, uh, as a game uh, sort of windy Saturdays at the Britannia three o'clock kickoffs, uh, and, and maybe that's in part why uh, I'm sure they'll step up the game against City uh, but th- th- there is the the old Stoke, there's enough of the old Stoke hanging around that it shows that Hughes hasn't been able to make the transition to this new mm-hmm. sort of new club that he was trying to fashion. So, yeah, he is at the crossroads. I think the difficulty they've had as well, they remind me a little bit of Bolton under Sam Allardyce in terms of experienced professionals mixed with disparate signings from abroad. But I think Bolton got a better success race with it, mm. with those players that they signed. They got Akocha, they got Jorkaev, they got Hierro, Campo, the really influential players for them. You look at Stokes ones, and you can't say that about too many, can you? Mm. Bojan, Afalai, Shakiri. Even Shakiri hasn't been a, a roaring success there, has he? So I think maybe it's the, the type of players they've brought in. And also, with the money now in the Premier League, you end up being static, don't you, unless you yeah. spend a load more to get on. I mean, how how do they get into the, the top seven or eight? It's very difficult. Mm. I saw them um, get beat by, by Chelsea a couple of weeks ago and basically didn't have a defence. Um, if you look at Chelsea, who is better equipped to challenge the two Manchester clubs, Chelsea or Spurs? Tottenham, by far. I think... Um... Chelsea, Conte has not been uh, has not been allowed to buy the sort of plays he wanted. Um, they do things differently at Chelsea. Since Mourinho first left there um, ten years ago, the, 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 they've set up a system where the manager's power has been perhaps diminished, and that you know they don't believe at Chelsea that the manager is as important as many of us believe, and so it, it, it's uh, it's frustrating for. Um, for Conti. In the summer, they should have done much more buying. So many players went out on loan, so many players were sold. Um, the, the, the Matic sale is just mind-boggling in the circumstances. And and the squad isn't big enough. And there's no, especially when you've got um, hazard injured, 
and he's just coming back now. They're not dynamic enough, and so I think Tottenham are much more. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a sense that that Chelsea might try and buy Conte's loyalty in January? You know, there's talk of still uh, Sandro coming in from Juventus at sixty million. I think it's more likely that Conte won't be there at the end of the season. Although I do actually disagree with Tony. I think Chelsea are better equipped if they can keep Morata fit. There's been a lot of talk about the Fab Four strikers. If you could have them all fit 100% for a season, I'd have Morata over any of them. I think. Over Kane? Yeah, I would. No, yeah. Okay. I think he's, a, he's an absolutely superb player. I think he's got that turn of pace. He's intelligent. He's good in the air. He's a good finisher. Um, the only problem with him, and it's a problem you can't cure, is keeping him physically healthy. Already he's got this hamstring problem. He had those problems at Juventus. He had injury problems in his spells at Madrid. Um, but he did it in Serie A, which is difficult to do. He established himself. He's a wonderful player. Just don't know if they can keep him healthy. But they've got Hazard... Yeah. A match winner, various other players. I just think they've. If I'm, if we're saying Manchester clubs one and two, which of course isn't guaranteed, I think third is Chelsea. Morata, you make that point about Morata. Doesn't that beg the question that if Chelsea knew of his injury record and his fallibility physically, that they should have gone out and bought another striker? Well, it just shows the the chaos of transfer dealings, even at the highest level, doesn't it? That. For the whole summer, I think Chelsea thought they were going to get Lukaku back. Mm. Um, Morata was the other top striker who was available. Suddenly, Lukaku's going to Manchester United. Crikey, he's available. OK, we'll take him. Conte wanted him at Juventus in, in 2014, but wouldn't say that he was his first choice when interviewed. Then, of course, they did try to sign Fernando Llorente, didn't they? Mm. Um, and Spurs put them to it, which, again, Daniel Levy's paying £12 million for a 32-year-old, unheard of. Um and Batshuayi clearly isn't trusted, is he? I mean, it's, that's a, that was a funny deal, that. It really was. I mean, he's one of, a really bright young player in France with Marseille. Signed him before Euro 2016. But you almost think, right, just to stop Tottenham signing him because yeah. he's gone there and he's just not had an opportunity. There is an element of that in, in, in a lot of the modern transfer market. Agree, you know, yeah. we, we're going to get that guy simply because we don't want X or Y to get him. That's always going on. You know, it's, uh, the, the people have done that. And... It will, will continue to happen, but it, it, it's not good business. Mm. Talking of business, how do you think Arsenal are doing in terms of Wenger? You know, there's there's talk of you know, Anthony Martial. You can't, I can't see that happening somehow, can you? I'd be surprised if Mourinho would allow a player that good to go to a rival, especially when he's stepped up this year, really, Martial, hasn't he? He's mm. been, I think he was there, fans player of the month, for the last month. Um, but sometimes he's gone with him, sometimes he's gone with Rashford, hasn't he? Mm, I think yeah. he's becoming, maybe he's not Mourinho's, you know, favourite chocolate in the box, but he's becoming more and more influential, isn't he? And I yeah. don't think he'd let him go to Arsenal because he's such a, can be such a positive player can he, on the break mm. as well. When you talk about Arsenal, you always get the sense that they're one defeat away from a crisis. Will that defeat come this weekend when they play Watford? <sighs> I shouldn't think so. Although Watford will make life very, very difficult for them. I mean, they have got a lot of talent, uh, Arsenal, even now. But they, they, they look so often they look disorganised. They get dispirited quickly, and um, and Sanchez, as brilliant as he is, he often looks like he's playing in a different game to his teammates. And it's a really exciting game, and you know it's um, and it's fun to watch. But it's not good for the team. Mm. Because that's an interesting one, isn't he? I think he's made a quite a good start. Mm. Um, but he's benefited from the fact that for the first year in a while, nobody is really even suggesting that Arsenal could actually push for the title this year. So 
he's almost been allowed to go under the radar, which is an amazing thing to say for a bloke who could cost 60 million quid. But I, I quite I quite like the look of and him. And what's really interesting is him and Sanchez are on the same wavelength. He's the only one in the team who Sanchez is on the same wavelength with. Mm. Would you select Ozil? No. Well, I've, I've never been a fan. All the skill in the world. He's Glenn Hoddle for the modern age, isn't he? You know, it's um, he'll knock a lovely ball, but he'll stand there admiring it instead of running down the channels. You know, he's... Um, you know, his, his body language is awful. He's, um, you know, he thinks he's better than the rest of the... He thinks he's better than the league. You know, he should be... No, I'd never have him in my team. He's, to me, he's... You know, he's destructive. He's poisoned the team spirit. I think he's been indulged a lot, hasn't he, by Arsene Wenger insofar as he's never the guy who's brought off if they need to change things for, for many years. Isn't that um, part of the problem with Arsenal, that comfort blanket? Well, yeah, because if you look at when he was at... Real Madrid, Ozil. He was actually an effective player for them mm -hmm. for a number of years, especially under Mourinho. And, um, if you read Diego Torres's book about Mourinho's time at Madrid, the point's often made that Ozil was given the most difficult tactical job for a particular game, for Clasicos and games like that. So he can do it. He's, he's a World Cup winner. Um, but it's interesting as well. My, my colleague James Olley's made this point in the Standard before in that look, I'd never argue that journalists have any importance on how a football club does, but Never have to come through the mix zone and even talk, even after UEFA games, Ozil, Sanchez. It, it just maybe even subconsciously plants this seeds of, seed of a sense of entitlement, doesn't it? Well, those guys have to do it, but we don't. Mm. Um, and I think that's been the, the sort of undercurrent of Ozil's time at Arsenal. Difference between a sense of entitlement and a sense of uh, expectation. But that expectation has been very high at Everton and has not been realised so far. There's talk that Ronald Koeman has got October to sort it, or he's out. Well, yeah, I, I mean, th th this has been rumbling since Koeman arrived. Uh, he, he, he come in, he's got that, you know, that Dutch thing, you know, like we invented. It's called arrogance. Man. Yeah, arrogance, yeah. And he come in, and, and I put a lot of people's noses out of joints around Goodison, around Belfields. And um, if you're going to have that arrogance, if you're going to act like that, you've got to win. And he hasn't been able to do that. Uh, the the buying in the summer brought a lot of optimism, and I, to be fair, I was one of the people who thought that that they'd done well in the transfer market, but they lack pace. They they they, they lack pace up front. They lack pace at the back. Uh, they over the last couple few years, they've got a lot of they, they've got a lot of speed from the wing fullbacks getting down the line. That's they've reached the age where they're not doing that so much, and it, it's. There was always a sense that Koeman was only just passing through. You know, he was he was not there for the long haul. Everton was a stepping stone for him. And suddenly it doesn't look as if it is a stepping stone. It looks as if it's a, a tripwire. We've got some viewers and listeners' questions, Tom. I'll start with John Tudor, who is a uh, an Everton fan. Will Ross Barkley stay with us? No, I don't think so. No, I think that he would have gone in the summer transfer window. He wanted to go to Tottenham. There were concerns about length of time he'd be out injured because clearly you're then paying a player aren't you for three four months and he might not play for you but Pochettino's liked him for a long time I'm Chelsea involved as well I'm sure he'll go in January you agree contracts up and at, at the end of the season uh, why would you stay you, you know you'll get a huge pay rise because no one has to pay a transfer fee for you and Koeman was never having him right from the beginning mm. Mick Capel uh, Manchester United they've been linked to Dries Mertens of Napoli 25 million. Would that be a good signing? I think he's a fine player. Scores goals when he plays through the middle. Um, 
can come from wide as well, even been compared with Diego Maradona in Naples, which is ridiculous. But the very fact that it's even been mentioned just shows how well he's done. But 30 years old, um, I think, on his next birthday, if he's not now. And 30 now. 30 now. And um, is, we're talking about the physicality of the players Mourinho likes. I think Mertens is only about as tall as me, which is yeah. not very tall. 30 and short. There's more chance of me going to Mourinho. Now that would I would pay to see that, by the way. <laughs> Likewise, think about physicality to the team. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Phil answers. Phil P. We don't know what the P stands for, but who is more reliant on Harry Kane, England or Spurs? Um, both really. Um, I think Tottenham are more likely to get goals from the midfield, and the, the, well, Deli Ali plays with them for both there. Uh, no, I, I, I think. Uh, a nation's hopes are riding on Harry Kane and uh, and and Tottenham's as well. If, if he gets injured, uh, Tottenham have got real problems. Although you know, uh, when Lorente will come in, and that, that makes a bit of a difference yeah, he, from last year. He doesn't quite look fit yet, Lorente. Um, in what brief I've seen, him, he's not quite up to speed yet. But he does give them the option of playing Kane slightly deeper, which they did in Cyprus briefly in the last Champions League game. I think probably England, because strangely, Kane is by far Tottenham's most important player. But he was out for a month last year in the spring and they won all the games in that mm. period. You do have Llorente, you have Ericsson, have Ali who can chip in with the odd goal. Um, Ericsson's absolutely key to everything. I think yeah. England probably wish they could find him a British passport. That, that's what made it all the more stunning to me that Kane played the whole 90 minutes on a plastic pitch in Lithuania. Because one, why would you? And, and risk him if you're, you're Gareth Southgate. And two, wouldn't you want to look at some of your other strikers? You know, you've got... I mean, I know he knows an awful lot about them anyway, but you've got um, uh, uh, you've got Daniel Sturridge, who's got no confidence and is out of form. Put him on there against, well, essentially, a pub team. Well, they're not quite a pub team, you know, Lithuania, but they're not that far off in terms of... Put him out there and give him a go. I, I would have kept Kane sitting on the bench and wrapped him in cotton wool, personally. Mm. Pavan, who describes himself as an Arsenal fanatic, he says, Spain got Iniesta. Germany, Tony Crows. Italy have got Verratti. England have got Jordan Henderson. Discuss. Verratti, Italy can't get Verratti fit, which is another argument for another day, but he's, he's got a jump to make, I think, to join the other two names you made. Um, it's interesting, Jordan Henderson, isn't he? He joined Liverpool, 21 years old. Um, he got a lot of stick, didn't he, in his first oh, year, yeah, 18 much, months. Yeah. Um, why have they signed this guy, Damian? It was sort of the emblem of him oh. and Carol, Damian Camoli's time at the yeah. club. Um, but then, clearly improved sufficiently to be made captain. And people even talking about him as, you know, and he's then got the England captaincy off the back of it. I just think he's another decent English player who will have periods of good form, periods of bad form. Um, and because it's in the nature of social media and instant judgments and everything, in the good form, everyone will say, oh, he's the new Gerrard of Liverpool. When he's slightly out of form, everyone will say he's hopeless. He's out of form at the moment, everyone's saying he's hopeless. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. He, he, he was brought to be part of a group of players to replace Steven Gerrard, and um, and he was never a like-for-like -like replacement. And he was never as bad as everyone said, and he was never as good as everyone said there was, mm. when he was in form. He's somewhere in the middle, and he's, he's pretty... He's better than average, but not much better than average. And that's going to get shown up at the international level. He, um, his, his passing is if he, 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 he runs around a lot, which is always a positive in the Premier League. Uh, but he's, yeah, he's better than average. Mm. 
Nicholas Ward says, why do we always talk about the future? Well, I'll tell him. I watched the under-17s yesterday in, in their World Cup beat Chile 4-0, and they had everything that the senior team didn't have. Pace, invention, intelligence, drive, tempo, skill. Hmm. What about that? Well, yeah, well, why wouldn't we talk about the future? I mean, let's face it, the present's not that way at all. Because he makes it? the point that we should be concentrating on what we've got now. And if you look back in, in the Euros, for instance, Greece and Portugal, with relatively mediocre teams, won those competitions. Well, without a doubt, and but you need a, a good manager, you need players who are committed to the, the teamwork. And unfortunately, we're in an era a of... Luck, yeah, a, a bit of luck. Um, I... I mean, one of the problems that football has is it too often thinks about the here and now and not the future. Um, so you know, you know, it's 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 every you know, so one team's successful, so everyone plays the same way. It's monkey see, monkey do. You know, one of them. Um, no one is thinking long term. I think a, a bit of long term planning and a bit of thought to what how you could develop players and the game overall in this country would be um would actually be quite refreshing. I don't think we talk about the, the future enough. Mm. I think it's a slightly different problem. I get sick every international week of hearing how everyone wants the club game to come back. Oh goodness mm. it's international week. Mm. And then we all moan when England are hopeless at the end mm. of the season. Again, I'm not saying that what commentators, fans, people on social media say directly influences players. But when the chorus is so loud that International Week is to be got out of the way, that it's dull, mm. we don't want it, it's bound to transmit itself to the players in yeah. some way. It's bound to that they're thinking, oh, cracky, no one really wants to watch us, no and, one really wants to. And, Whereas the Premier League is full of hype, enthusiasm, drive, isn't it? And the mad thing is, everyone moans about international football. And then next summer, when the World Cup happens, everyone will be so excited and energised by it's it. Still, it's still oh. international football is still the only type of football that pulls in people who aren't otherwise interested yeah. in football and therefore a new audience. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's got to be respected and it's got to be looked mm. after and we're not doing it at the moment. Well, if you yeah. see the scenes in Costa Rica this weekend, if you see the scenes in, mm. in Egypt last night, you know, sheer national ecstasy. Iceland last summer. Yeah. It matters. But in England, have we fallen out of love with it? Well, I think we have, and, and I think in part what Tom was saying, because of the, the all-consuming Premier League and the, um, the, sort of the, the way club football has just become the, the, the huge obsession. Uh, and I think, um, I, I, I think that the true colours of how people feel about both England and, uh, the, and international football come out next summer. And, and, and I'm sure at the end of May and early early June people start thinking that the, 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 the cross of St George will be out all over the place yeah. and people start thinking oh you know maybe they've got a chance and it's we. And I think it's slightly different we've convinced ourselves that we've fallen out of love with international football which is slightly different from falling mm. out of love with it fans have become conditioned to think uh, whenever they go and see England I actually think it's an idea that's been batted around a bit isn't it taking England back around the country again um, Towns that don't get to see them very often, like Spain played in, in Alicante, didn't they, in the most recent game? Alicante didn't have a team in the top flight in Spain. So you get enthusiasm there to go and watch them. Why can't we do the same? And ban the band, that'd be the first step. Well, that is very true. Wembley doesn't help. It's soulless and the stage for glorified school outings. And as Tony said, there's that England band. Pathetic. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Thank you. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.